Welcome everyone, and thank you for joining us on today's On Aging Conversation. My name is Barbara McMillan, Provincial Community Engagement Coordinator for United Way of British Columbia's Healthy Aging Team. And I'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional ancestral territories of all First Nations in this land we now call Canada, on which we gratefully work and gather. The On Aging Conversation series is a collaboration between Healthy Aging Corps and HealthAge Canada. If you missed earlier episodes, you'll find them on Apple Podcasts and on Healthy Aging Core Canada, the national knowledge hub connecting agencies that support and advance independent living for older Canadians. You'll also find other information and um, uh, resources related to the subjects we're talking about as well uh, delivered to your inbox if you've signed up for the twice monthly core e-news and uh, we will put the link to do that in the chat box. In our work with CORE, HelpAge, and the extraordinary network of community-based senior serving agencies, volunteers, and professionals, we're really privileged to encounter many thought leaders and innovators in the field of healthy aging. And so On Aging Conversations was launched to help bring some of these ideas, innovations, and perspectives to a wider audience. Each episode includes a short video that highlights the community-based organization that's making a difference in the lives of older Canadians, followed by HelpAge Canada CEO Gregor Snedden in conversation with our featured guest, and a little time for a few questions before we wrap up. And that's it. 30 minutes of healthy aging information and inspiration every two weeks. Meanwhile, please feel free to introduce yourself and post your questions in the chat box. And now I'll turn it over to Gregor Snedden, CEO of HelpAge Canada, your host for On Aging. Thanks, Barb, and uh, welcome everyone. Great to, great to be with you again this week and a special uh, welcome to Corey McKenzie, who we'll be uh, speaking to um, momentarily. Um, for those of you who are, aren't uh, familiar, HelpAge Canada, we support community-based initiatives through partnerships across Canada and abroad to improve the lives of older persons and their communities. And we look to serve as the convener of the community-based senior services sector in Canada. So uh, as part of our uh, program, we like to begin with a short video featuring some of the work uh, of some of our amazing partners across the country. And, and today, it, you know, we're coming to the end of November, but we're in Movember, uh, a great time to recognize and, and uh, look towards men's mental health. And so we wanted to do a, a video this morning that we've, uh, Help Age Canada has the real privilege of being able to support this amazing new program in Canada that Corey also is very familiar with as well, and that is the Men's Sheds Movement, which we'll touch on a little bit later, but we're going to share right now a little video uh, about uh, Men's Sheds, and this is from the Men's Sheds Group in Ottawa, Ontario. So let's see here if we can make it happen. I'm Kevin Ford, and I'm 68. I can speak to my need. Um, uh, I uh, wanted to share my experiences um, with other like-minded individuals and, uh, and to learn new skills from others and, and be able to teach them. Uh, for the first bench in Ottawa, I I get to learn about the lives of 30 um, interesting men who had six, seven, eight decades of life experience in either doing or witnessing um, uh, some of the 
most interesting things that happened around the world. And these are guys who have now retired and who have never known that they did those things. It gives them something to look forward to. Uh, there's always an incredibly engaging conversation. Um, we, we have a Pulitzer Prize winner. We have two CDC reporters. We have uh, a guy who taught uh, in China, Beijing, for two decades. We have a guy who has his personal name on patents for satellites. Now, I can go on in terms of the quality and the depth of the people that are here. Um, and each of them brings a different piece to the party. It's a real privilege to know. I see a single workshop with three different groups of, of men chips within the same facility. And in the evening, people who aren't prepared are using the two. And finally, collecting all that expertise and passing it on to the next generation. That's my vision of the next generation. And if the grants can help us along the way, that's where I want to Well, it was a great little video, a little snapshot of a men's sheds uh, right here in Ottawa, uh, where I am. It's a, such an exciting program. And again, we'll, we'll touch a little bit on the men's sheds program a little later on. But, but before further ado, uh, I'd really like to welcome Corey McKenzie. Dr. Corey McKenzie uh, is a clinical psychologist, professor and director of clinical training in the Department of Psychology, adjunct professor in psychiatry and research affiliate with the Center on Aging at the University of Manitoba. And research in his aging and mental health lab aims to understand how age affects mental health, enhance older adults access to mental health services and individuals to cope with stress when caring for older adults with dementia. So really thrilled to have you with us here uh, today, Corey, in this month of, uh, of uh, Movember, and uh, how are things there in the peg? Things are good here. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you this morning. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Well, you know, tell us a little bit, uh, you know, how did you, what was your journey? How did you arrive to, uh, to where you are now there in Manitoba? Because I don't think you're actually from there originally, are you? No, I'm from a small town in central Alberta, just south of Red Deer, uh, sort of in between Calgary and Edmonton. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'll, I'll try to give you the short version of, of how I got here um, and, and how I got interested in aging. And uh, the story really kind of had its roots with my my grandparents growing up in that small town in central Alberta. I was um, I had, had my grandmother on my dad's side and my grandma and grandpa on my on my mom's side. And they were second parents to me in many ways. And. I spent lots and lots of time with them growing up and they would take me around to their, you know, to bowling and to, you know, events with their older friends. And I, I, um, uh, just had a, I always had a comfort and love for, for spending time with older adults. And then when I got to university and got into an honors degree program and they said, go find someone to work with that would supervise your honors degree. I found Alan Dobbs at the university of Alberta 
who does work with uh, aging drivers. And uh, from there, I went to Queen's University and, and um, got involved with Jane Knox and Bill Joukowsky in their aging lab. Um, and, you know, that work was really kind of focused on older adults' mental health. And that's been work that I've continued to do. When I graduated from grad school and got my first job at University of Toronto and then ended up here at uh, University of Manitoba. Oh, wow. So wow, very cool. Very cool. Well, well, tell us about your work there, uh, you know, aging and mental health, your aging and mental health lab. You know, what do you, uh, what do you do all day? <laughs> That's a good question. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot of balls that get juggled in terms of supervising students and keeping various research projects on the go. Um, I mean, one of the one of the central kind of areas of focus in my lab is is um, is on this sort of idea that uh, when people struggle with mental health problems and it gets to the point where they need to to seek help, um, there are certain groups that are less likely to seek help than others, and and the the age demographic that's the least likely to seek help when they're struggling with mental health problems are older adults. So we spent a lot of time in my lab looking at kind of barriers to mental health service use among older adults who are struggling with substance use and anxiety and depression and other mental health issues. Um, so that's one thing that we do. Um, another sort of passion of mine is, is looking at changes in mental health as people get older, not just from a pathology perspective, but, but from this perspective that it's actually the case that in general, mental health tends to increase from at least from middle age into late life. So there's this kind of misperception that aging is a kind of a depressing, hard, you know, emotionally challenging time. And the data actually suggests otherwise. It's that, you know, older adults are mentally healthier than your average middle-aged adult. So that's another area of focus. And then, uh, then you also mentioned some intervention work that we do around helping people care for caregivers who are providing support to older adults, uh, whether that be nurses or or uh, family caregivers. So those are sort of the three things that that we that keep us busy. Oh, wow, that's a that's a busy day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Well, you know, as we mentioned at the beginning, it's it's uh, it's Movember here, and uh, so let's uh, let's talk about men's health, um, aging men's mental health. But maybe actually before we do that, maybe let's just take a step back and. And maybe you could share a little bit some of the differences between, it never really occurred to me, you know, the differences in, in men and women's aging mental health journey. Like, how do you distinguish? What are some of the markers, indicators, or what's different about them? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, so, so it is, you know, and so it's true that in general, as people age, again, at least from middle age into later life, mental health tends to improve. Um, and it's also true that they're for a subset of folks, they're going to run into trouble, they're going to run into challenges with anxiety, depression, substance use, other, other mental health problems. Um, and, and it is true that there are some gender differences in terms of what that looks like, um, especially around the, the mental health challenges. And one of the, we don't know exactly reasons for this, but there's some there's some fairly good reasons to speculate about gender differences and reasons why men and women tend to to kind of cope with them differently. So one of the one of the findings is that regardless of age, it's it's the it's the case that women tend to have about twice the rate of depression and anxiety compared to men. 
And men tend to have roughly twice the rates of substance use disorders, alcohol use, and other drug disorders. Mm -hmm. And and what that likely speaks to is the way in which we tend to cope with emotional challenges when they show up. That in our culture, women are, it's acceptable or okay for women to be sad and anxious and to talk about that with their friends and family members. It's not as okay for men culturally in general. So men often, you know, use some of these avoidant coping strategies that are going to lead them into trouble with kind of substances. And so it's, so it's the same underlying challenge, right? Women, and I'm talking about generalities here, but women will get anxious or depressed and men will get drunk or high. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So that's kind of the, you know, sort of, um, well, what, what would you say would be some, maybe some healthy strategies or what would be the, that men and women may address their, their mental health issues? Yeah. So, I mean, so the, um, that's a complicated question and there's a complicated answer to it, but I'll, I'll see if I can sort of boil it down to something that kind of makes sense. Um, so one of the, one of the sort of leading theories in psychological science in terms of what well-being consists of is this idea of psychological flexibility and really what that refers to is opening up to difficult internal experiences when they show up so trying to you know notice our thoughts that show up that are telling us that we're a failure we're no good trying to open up to challenging emotional experiences rather than kind of sticking our heads in the sand and avoiding them so there's this open accepting approach to difficult internal experiences as one component then there's this second component of being present and you know everyone's familiar these days with the idea of mindfulness it's this you know this catchphrase but really what it means is to to be in the present moment and to bring a particular kind of attitude to that present moment awareness curiosity kindness compassion openness um, as opposed to you know, getting stuck ruminating about past challenging events or worrying about the unpredictable catastrophic future, these things that we kind of get pulled into. So that's the second piece. So open, aware. And then the third piece is, is has to do with living a life that aligns with value and purpose and meaning. So it's, you know, having a values focused life. And we all, I think, can appreciate that when people get into struggles with anxiety and depression, often the value becomes not feeling so terrible anymore and that pushes people into avoidance. And what we really want people doing is to kind of touch on their values. Like what is important to me? What's the reason that I want to get out of bed in the morning and, and then use these openness and present moment skills to allow us to do that. So that's, I wasn't, I'm not sure if that was helpful or complicated. Yeah, no, that's really good. That's a really great takeaway because I mean, just on, you know, I think all of us struggle, uh, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, I, you know, I think all of us in some way have had to, uh, you know, some obviously struggling more than others, but um, we've all had to work with our, um, our mental, our experience of, of the pandemic and, and um, whether we call that, well, addressing our own mental health, I think is healthy for everyone. And those, those are three great things that you've being open being uh, being aware and then a life that's uh, centered on you know exploring our values 
purpose and meaning to navigate through that difficulty. That's that's really rich. Makes yeah. me you know also really reflect on, uh, you know, we often talk about isolation and loneliness of of both men and women. But I wonder in particular about men. You know, uh, can you speak to that a little bit? Um, because I I think sometimes men who aren't maybe quite uh, accustomed to sharing, as you point out, with their friends. They can tend to just hold inwards, perhaps, and isolate even more and more, perhaps, than than women might. Would that be the case? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure, Gregor. There's there's real challenges in that. Um, I mean, and some of that has to do with the fact that for for many men, again, these are generalities, but for many men, they they have social connections tied to their places of employment and work. Right. And that's true for women, but as well. But when when men retire, those tend to drop off more so, you know. Um, so so that's a, a factor. This sort of cultural thing around um, women being more social and more focused on sort of tending and befriending this kind of like social connection piece that women tend to do better at than men is part of it. Um, and then it's. It's also the case, and we, we hear this anecdotally a lot, and I, I think there's truth to it, that among uh, coupled partners in um, in relationship where there's a husband and a wife, it's, it, it tends to be the wife that manages the social stuff, yeah? And, and, um, and then if there's a loss, if there's, if, if the, you know, if the, if the husband passes, the wife maintains her social network, but if the wife passes, then the, the husband's social network can fall apart and fall away. So there's a number of reasons why isolation and loneliness, I think, is a is a, a, a challenge for all of us, especially within the last three years, but um, particularly for men. I also understood that uh, we had some conversations uh, recently forth with aging new, new Canadians mm-hmm. and this idea that oftentimes um, in some communities, a man finds his value, purpose, role in kind of an outward-facing way, you know, uh, bringing income for the family and, and so on, whereas the woman's role is often to take care of the family, kind of inward-focused on the family. So for a new Canadian who the frustration leaving that outward work behind, not really having, being able to establish those connections, find fulfilling work or meaningful engagement outwardly, but the, the woman, in some cases, still finds her fulfillment and enrichment by taking care of her family or husband and so on. Yeah. And, and the, the man is often left and yeah. now without any even a, a social circle and so on to engage with as a new Canadian in Canada. Yeah. Yeah, well said. And, you know, there, the, the role of culture inside this question is so interesting because we there are cultural influences on the, the expectations that we face in terms of how we're supposed to act and behave and, and what's of value to us. It's, yeah, and that that's becomes more important as you know, Canada becomes more diverse and opens up to that. Um, mm-hmm. I agree. So, and, so, so figure, as you were talking, the other thing I was, I was going to mention in terms of a, a reason why uh, loneliness and isolation can be more of a challenge for men and this kind of circles back to the video we watched at the start of the of the podcast. It's the many of the community sort of in, um, agencies or community supports that are available are either mixed gender or targeted at women, and the mixed gender ones tend to be, you know, majority female attendees. So there there are fewer 
ways for older men to connect into kind of social programs that that mm-hmm. can offer them some of what men sheds does. It's it's coming in and filling a filling a niche. Well, maybe we can in a minute we'll we'll, get, we'll we can talk a little bit about men's sheds, but just before we do that, what what are some strategies or some ways you, you think that we can encourage men to address their mental health issue? Uh, and second to that, you know, what what kind of programs or opportunities are in fact out there? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think that part of what you know we're, we're sort of doing, part of what I advocate we do, which is to let's let's put these issues on the table. Let's let's have men in particular thinking about their mental health and thinking about the ways that they cope with mental health challenges. So if you are the kind of person who tends to, and many of us are, by the way, we tend to cope with emotional challenges in this avoidant sticking your head in the sand, distracting yourself, you know, drinking, whatever that is, then part of what's required is to see how that works for you. Yeah. And and for most of us, that tends to have this kind of like short-term, better, long-term, worse flavor. That's how avoidant coping tends to, tends to work. So, so part of it is just, you know, taking a look at how am I, how am I feeling and how am I coping with this? And just knowing that there are resources out there that can help people to, you know, to pivot into coping with challenges in a more productive, healthy way. So like what, what kind of programs or opportunities are out there? You know, where, where, where do we direct folks to, to go? Yeah. You know, it, it depends a little bit on how, how, like the degree of the challenge that people are experiencing. Right. So if there's real challenge, like severe depression, severe debilitating anxiety, then those folks, hopefully will find their way to a mental health professional. And if you're older, sometimes those are managed through primary care, but primary care physicians will also sometimes refer to geriatric mental health professionals, geropsychologists and geriatric psychiatrists and geriatric social workers. So so there's that sort of like that professional route to care for people who are really struggling. You know, on the other hand, if, if someone's you know, coping okay, doing okay, but they're struggling, then, you know, typically what we're looking at there are community resources and, um, you know, looking to agencies like the Canadian Mental Health Association, regardless of where you live in Canada, you can go into the CMHA website and find local resources and, and sort of Canada-wide federal resources for helping cope with mental health issues. Um, you know, and then your organization, you know, helps and others like it help kind of facilitate this kind of social piece too right because what happens so often inside of challenge is that people tend to shut down socially Uh, if they're anxious if they're depressed they isolate they turn inward Um, so it's really important in those situations is to keep people connected socially and and the work that you guys are doing and other organizations are is really critical inside that space Uh uh-huh and maybe, you know, do you have any comments about um, substance abuse and use? Because I know that that's a, I know, for example, there's, there's, some, there's some apps out now, for example, that, that, that pe- many people are finding successful that I think there's one called uh, Sunnyside, for example, where it helps you, um, you know, monitor your drinking, say, and curb it down. You know, maybe you move to a couple of days a week or whatever it is. Right. Um, there's some really neat apps out there that I've seen that, uh, 
that have been, been getting a lot of traction. I don't know if you have any comments about that for those who maybe are being aware that, mm, boy, you know what, I think I may be overdoing it a little too too often. Yeah. I mean, one thing I'll say is that the, the sort of epidemiological evidence on substance use suggests that it, it really drops off in later life. Uh, and there's a number of reasons for that. Um, it's hard to maintain a, a, a lifestyle of abuse for a long time. So sometimes it can kind of sort of burn out or, or unfortunately people can, you know, die as a result of, you know, long-term substance use. So we, send, we tend to see less of it in later life. What we, what we do see is a lot of um, abuse of prescription medications okay. uh, among older adults that, that um, kind of flies under the radar a little bit, um, but is, a, is another significant issue. So yes, I mean, part of part of that, Gregor, at least in my opinion, once again, is just, you know, if it is running people into trouble to the point where it's interfering with their lives, then, you know, accessing help and if that sort of self-help app um, sort of options, then that's great. And that's often not enough for people. And if it's not enough, then, you know, linking people into professional um, sources of help is the better way to go. Super. Well, I do want to hand it. We, we're almost out of time here. And I know Barb has a question and we never really did have a chance to say too much about uh, Men's Sheds. But Men's Sheds is another great program where men can uh, participate in their community and engage in meaningful uh, work shoulder to shoulder. I love the phrase that, that women connect face to face, men connect shoulder to shoulder. Um, a, a great opportunity. And in fact, Health Age Canada has a granting opportunities for men's sheds to start a men's sheds or for project grants and in their own communities. Uh, do you just have maybe a quick word on the men's sheds uh, program or what you can, any comments on that? Um, you know, we, our research group with colleagues at UBC where we were involved uh, about a decade ago in, in putting together a, a kind of a toolkit to help, you know, guys start up new sheds if they're wanting to do that. And that's still available on the, on the website, or it will be shortly. Um, now, these are really important, you know, organizations that are male-focused, you know, um, and they're filling a, I think, a, a unique niche. Like I said before, in terms of, you know, if if older men are looking for a space where they can connect with other older men, then then this is a, is a a really nice fit. And there's a good and growing body of research showing that it has, you know, health benefits, physical health benefits mental health benefits, social benefits, obviously. Yeah, these are doing good work. Awesome. Well, Barb, over to you. Uh... Yeah, I've, I've got a question. I've been thinking a lot lately about resilience and how some people bounce back from really serious life events, um, negative life events. And uh, is there a difference between um, men and women in, in levels of resilience? Do you know? I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know for sure, but my my suspicion is that there isn't a big difference there. And in my own personal kind of view on resilience, especially in later life, is that a lot of it has to do with people's histories of trauma. That that if people have a a history of kind of big T trauma, really challenging experiences in their childhoods with abuse and neglect that it is really hard for those people later in life to be, be resilient in the face of stress. There's just a lot of kind of learning and challenge in their histories that make it hard that, that what we tend to see more of inside of resilience is this, you know, people who have a more stable 
kind of psychological profile and a history that allows them to weather the the stresses and challenges that that um that other people have a hard time with thanks hmm. well i think we're we're actually we are out of time uh once again we always just seem to be scratching the surface but it's always uh such a thrill to have this chance to connect uh thanks so much for for being with us today Corey. it was just uh great to be with you thank you so much it was my pleasure this has been fun Great. Yeah. Thank you, Corey. Thanks, Gregor. And thanks, Gemma, our Zoom whiz. And uh, we've posted the link to CORE where you can find more resources um, on men's sheds, as well as all kinds of other interesting things and previous uh, on aging conversations. So thanks, everyone, and have a great rest of the day. I'll be back online again uh, on December 8th, speaking to Sophia Mohammed from HealthAge Help Ethiopia. You can imagine a country with no social security programs and an average lifespan of 64 years old as they struggle to just bring a, a, a basic structure of dignity for older peeping, people. And really it's so similar in many ways to our Western context of, you know, it's about creating choice, freedom, dignity as we age. I, I'm really looking forward to that conversation as well. So we'll see you on the 8th. And again, thanks again, Corey. I'm really taking some great takeaways here today. Open, aware, and values-driven. Awesome. Thanks, right. everyone. Bye, everyone.